2: I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And Dee, one of the great lessons that i would learned in the first year of coaching high school ball was being able to take lessons out of victories and then... Understanding the successes that you had in your losses, right? The opposite of whatever your natural feeling is after the game. When you win a game, you're like, hey, we're great. We did everything well. When you lose, you feel like, you know, you didn't do anything well. And neither of those are true. And so we're going to look at the Lakers through this lens in today's pod. We're actually going to start through what we did like about game one and some of the things that stood out to us we had some shared things uh in that game one win and then in the second half we're going to talk about some of that idea of adjusting even after you do win and learning the lessons from a victory and so like I said we both did our our rewatch and we had some uh some shared things that we really liked starting with transition offense so I'd love to start there what do you see in that aspect of the game I just
1: thought this looked like a real point of emphasis from the team every time. And it started off of the defensive rebound. AD had two or three really good outlet passes. You know, the Lakers are a good transition offense in general, so you know that they want to attack before the defense is set. And and I think that that's probably even more of a priority against a really good half-court defense like Memphis. but. A part of me feels like, man, they wouldn't have been hunting the types of opportunities that they were hunting with these outlet passes and these kick-ahead passes that they were making if it wasn't in the scouting report that this was a way that they could get into things early. They mentioned it on the broadcast a couple of times, but very early in the game, um, the Lakers had actually drawn a couple of fouls off of made baskets. So, like... Memphis comes down and they score. And then the Lakers are inbounding so quickly and changing the end so quickly that they happened to get Memphis out of position and drew a couple of fouls.
2: And that makes it very difficult for a a team to really get momentum. Like they were the best team, uh, home team in the NBA. And there was one play in particular where I forget what happened the play before, but Ja had the ball, got got it up the left wing and drove it D'Lo in open space and made a kind of up and under layup, uh, lefty layup in transition. The crowd starting to rock. I think it was Austin inbounded the ball to D'Lo on the right sideline. Gilo hit a long hit ahead to LeBron, who threw a lob to Vando, uh, who yep. was the rim runner. And Vando, it was side out of bounds, I don't even get the call on that, it should have been shooting, but anyway the ball never hit the ground and there was 21 seconds left on the shot clock when they whistled it dead. So we had the ball at the rim in three seconds and you have this crowd that's ready to really explode. And I think a lot of times the natural instinct of a lot of teams, it's kind of, okay, walk the ball up, calm down, be cool under pressure as the crowd's rocking. But no, sure. that it's actually the right thing to do is attack their ass. Like you run on a running team. Yes. And, and I thought we did a great job of that. No, it's the
1: idea of like the counterpunch. Right. And 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 you don't want to hold that counterpunch back in order to like, oh, well, he he got me. So now let me be methodical and work my way in. No, it's just like after you get tagged, that's the that's the time where you're like, oh, no, I better fight back now or else I'm going to end up on the ropes. It's like those great old like Hagler-Hearns fights, Mm -hmm. right, where where, where they're just slugging it out in the middle of the ring. And that's sort of what the Lakers and the Grizzlies are in terms of transition offense teams, right? Like they're two of the better teams that when they turn you over or they can run off of misses and Jaw is critical in that. Just to speak to that point that you made, too, about Like, it's one of my pet peeves that the NBA treats a lot of, like, lobs and controlled tips off of offensive rebounds, Uh and they treat those as, like, loose ball fouls. Yeah, like, what do you think the
2: guy's doing with the ball? Like, come on.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this guy's throwing a lob, and the Lakers lucked out on one of those two, right? Like, LeBron bumped Jaron Jackson on that lob catch, and... Triple J is clearly going to try to finish there over the top. LeBron sort of backs into him and Triple J can't control the pass. And that's a side out of bounds. And so it goes both ways. But I definitely wish that they gave the refs a little bit more leeway and stuff yeah. like that. Because what else is Vando going to do? He's catching a damn lob and then he gets hit in the head. Of course, he doesn't have control of the ball anymore. Anyways, the Lakers pushing the ball up and making... A lot of same side passes, like up the sideline passes. Yeah, that sideline
2: break, classic sideline break principles. It was beautiful. Yeah. And so,
1: and that wasn't, honestly, man, like we've, we watch every Lakers game. And I was doing my rewatch earlier, early this morning. And I was like, I don't recall seeing them do this particular thing this much in any game recently right and earlier during the season they were obviously hunting transition opportunities so much more but those were with LeBron and Russ Mm -hmm. a lot which is it looks fundamentally different than those look-ahead passes for streaking up the sideline like sort of those um four by 100 relay Mm -hmm. right where it's just like hey we're all in the same we're in like a single file line and that was the direction that that the passes were going so I'm very interested to see what the counters are to that from from Memphis but the Lakers weren't looking to attack via the middle or by throwing cross-court passes it was much more up like up the wing in order to to uh, to attack, and that led to a couple of opportunities too, with like AD trailing yeah. that middle trail trail lane. That sort of break opens up so much, so it was definitely to me a point of emphasis. I'm not sure if you had more thoughts on that, but there were a couple of other things. No, that go ahead, and move to on. Yeah. like we talked a lot about LeBron and his late game activity as sort of like okay, he's. He's standing weak side. Mm -hmm. He's letting Austin do a lot of ball handling. But one of the things that I noticed with with LeBron was just his activity in the painted area. Like he had several blocks, but his rebounding was impressive to me, particularly in contested rebounds. And I'm wondering what you saw on that as well, because I had mentioned that and you were just like, man, that was one of the things that stood out to me as well during my rewatch.
2: Yeah, I... I think LeBron dropping down from the perimeter is going to be super helpful in part because the way our guards are going to get attacked, especially by bigger wing type players, like Dylan Brooks looks at Austin Reeves or Desmond Bain looks at... Uh, you know, D'Angelo Russell, it's like, I'm going to go through this guy. I'm going to be physically stronger. And so you'll see a lot of those attempts. And the job of the defensive player, who usually has a physical mismatch when teams are looking to attack that way, is just to stay in front and buy enough time for somebody to drop down and either block the shot from behind or gather up the rebound. And LeBron was doing that in a way where, like, LeBron's leaping ability off of a run versus in a dead stop is night and day these days and so he can still like oh yeah i remember that guy when he gets a little bit of runway ahead of him and these are circumstances where he can do that and so he was tracking down rebounds dropping down from the perimeter he was boxing out in the interior as well and i thought he helped in that in that respect and so that whole a lot of the strategy around our how teams have played us has been even if you engage AD, but you miss the shot. Just engaging AD, if you're the guard, for example, is a win because on that backside, it's like LeBron is in a great jumper from a dead still these days. We've got small guards that don't do a ton from that sandwich rebounding perspective, you can get some offensive rebounding opportunities. I also think this is part of the reason why we're attacking them in transition the way that we did. It's like, oh, you're gonna yes. crash boards like this? We're gonna kick your ass in transition. We got numbers going the other way, right? And so LeBron is the one guy, aside from AD, who can bring that physicality and athleticism and just the win those battles. We saw Russell Westbrook do that against the Suns last night, right? At the end of the yep. game. Same type of thing where you gotta win these type of rock fights to win playoff basketball. And LeBron and, and Rui, to to some extent, helps uh, in this area as well. But those are the guys that can really contribute in that respect.
1: No. So I thought the defensive rebounding stuff, he had a really impressive rebound um, late in the game. And, and I think it was Mark Jackson that said, like, that's a. That's like, mm-hmm. that, like, that's a winning rebound yeah. right there. And it really was just that idea. Uh, and this has been something that the Lakers have not done as well this season. And so it's one of the reasons why it stood out to me that they have not been a great team at closing down the foul line for defensive rebounds. Like those yeah. those rebounds that come out to like 15, 18 feet. And uh, like Rui missed one, for example, mm-hmm. when he had a closeout on on um, Aldama and like in the corner. And Rui then, instead of coming back to the ball and closing down the foul line, he started to drift up court and it ended up being an offensive Mm -hmm. rebound um. That then I can't remember how uh, the rest of the possession unfolded, but it was just one like that happens to the Lakers a fair amount. And it was one of the more frustrating ideas, particularly because the Lakers were playing so many guards that you feel like this this should be in your DNA as a guard to do this specific sort of thing as, as a rebounder, but too often they were just leaking out. And so to have LeBron and this, I think was one of the benefits with him in like sort of, Different bench units where he ended up not guarding triple J, right where Rui was on that that matchup, where LeBron got to defend a Dylan Brooks or or a Roddy, where he got to to crack down a little bit more. That's when I feel like he was able to really crash will will crash in. So I thought that was another thing where I was just like, oh man, like the Lakers, they just look big and physical. Mm-hmm. Right now, um, against a Memphis team that over the course of the regular season, they were the big and physical team, Mm -hmm. right? Like, they came at you with waves. So, it's interesting, before the series started, um, you had mentioned that, you know, Tillman's their third-string center. Mm -hmm. But, imagine having Tillman as like your third string center, like basically your fifth big. Right. And, that's and great. Til- and Tillman's, Tillman's a, a good yeah, player. Tillman's a, qu- he is a quality NBA player, right? And so to, so normally it's Memphis that is coming at you in ways with, they, they start Adams and Jackson and then they can take out Adams and then bring in Clark. And then if that's not working, they can still go with, um well, with Tillman. And they could come at you with big after big after big with athleticism and guys that get after the glass. But without Adams and Clark, another thing that stood out to me on the rewatch was just how often like. Rui was a presence in the paint mm-hmm. on both the offensive and the defensive glass. The first half, his jumper wasn't falling at all, but he got a couple of putbacks on where he's just lurking weak side mm-hmm. and ducking in and and getting shots. So we 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 gave Rui a lot of praise the last game for his shot making and and all that he did. But I thought his his ability to sort of hang tough in there and then really just overpower and out muscle dudes who were not the same size as him. When Memphis got into their deeper bench units, that was something that stood out to me as well.
2: Yeah. uh, Jeff Van Gundy was lamenting the soft double teams on Anthony Davis in part because it was leaving Tyus Jones to box box out Rui, and like yeah. Tyus Jones's game, he's a good defender. He's always going to do his job, do his hard. Look, that's a weight class mismatch right there, and that's the type of player where you earn an extra possession, right? It's foul, keep it here. Ref says keep it here, and you you take it out of bounds. And so that size and physicality will hold that thought for the second uh, segment. Before we move on to that, though, I wanted to talk LeBron on the other end of the floor, specifically the yeah. end game offense and the weak side positioning. One of the things I loved, I thought the coaches had just a stellar game plan, particularly on the offensive end in this game. Remember the game against Milwaukee that we won, that that classic uh, in Milwaukee earlier this year? Down the stretch of that game, we kept running side pick and rolls, and it was LeBron, AD, ball screen over and over and over again. And... Remember, Memphis is a team that's coached by Taylor Jenkins, who's also a Mike Budenholzer' disciple. Runs a lot of the same concepts, and so Rui, after last night's game, was talking in the post game press conference about how Phil Handy was telling him that they're going to pinch. Right? They're going to they're going to pinch. Yeah. Meaning, and what that means, because we do this too, is help one pass away, and so what's happening is say it's D and AD in a pick and roll that. Delo, the, the guy that's one pass away is going to help toward Delo, so that the big can stay back in a drop. The guard sits, Tyus Jones is fighting over the top and it's Dylan Brooks kind of stabbing at the ball. He's the, the pinch guy, right? And then the idea is that he can get back soon enough to the perimeter player to be able to contest the three-point shot. And it's not like a paint to three-point line touch. So that three where you catch yep. the ball across your body is not as accurate, you kind of have to line up and get square to the basket. So that's the calculation that, that teams are making, especially when you've got an Anthony Davis caliber threat on the other end of the lob, right? And so it kind of gunks that up and he's going to give up the that that type of shot. That I think is a big reason why we turn the pick and roll and run the sideball screens, is that makes the pinch guy, it makes his clothes out longer. And like, D'Lo had this one pass, man, on the three that LeBron hit. It was such a beautiful play. This is called, so this pass in particular is called the natural pitch, meaning as the ball screener, or I'm sorry, as the guard is coming around the ball screen. So it's D'Lo with the ball on the left side of the court, coming around the pick and roll. LeBron is in the slot, but as D'Lo comes around, LeBron is drifting with him, right? He's moving at the same rate in the same direction to maintain kind of the same distance between each other. Dido throws this pass in front of LeBron, but like to where LeBron's going perfectly in the shot pocket. And Dylan Brooks has so far to cover that he just can't get there. And LeBron knocks down the three. And so- that both in terms of the coaching and then the players and the execution of that and the we have a tool for every job type of thing on offense, man. And yep. Rui was knocking those types of threes down as well. Rui was a big beneficiary beneficiary of that. And so I think that right there, man, I think it's going to be a big storyline going forward just in terms of our ball screen game. Well, that's where, too, we sort of um, took a shot at Bane a little
1: bit for his post-game comments on about Rui. And it's just like, hey, well, Rui only really had to do that once because that like that won the Lakers a game, right? But Bain's not wrong. No. Like Memphis isn't going to change their coverage. They're going to continue to say Rui, LeBron, like whoever, Vanderbilt, whoever's in that slot being helped off of by Jaron Jackson Jr. Like that's the guy that we're betting isn't going to hit threes at a rate that's high enough in order to win the game. But these are good looks. These are good looks. And also, too, like Handy talking to Rui before the game and and Rui just, just basically saying, like, these are the shots you're going to get. And I don't think Mike would mind us sharing this. Before the game, he had sort of like given us some... Play by plays of like what the warm ups were looking like always in the great. arena. And I remember Mike sent us this, this text and he said, Rui's bombing threes right now. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, huh, that's interesting, right? And, and for Mike to comment on, like, so I'm guessing Rui was just knocking these down pre game. And so that boded well, right? Because later on, he's doing that exact same thing. And and so that pass that you pointed out that D'Lo made, D'Lo was the other guy that really popped on the second watch to me. Like he, he does a lot of little things better He's so smart. than what he gets credit for yeah. in the moment. And so we brought it up some last game, too, about just his passing and even his passing in the Minnesota game, the playing game like he shot very poorly, but he had eight assists, only a couple of turnovers. And last night was a similar night. He didn't have a great shooting night. He had a good shooting night and he hit some but he hit some very important jumpers. Lakers are down six coming out of halftime so start the third quarter memphis gets an early shot to go up eight i think it was a play where jog ja got downhill and then he was gonna finish like sort of in floater range but then ad like he dumped it off late to jaron jackson right, and jackson got a little hook mm-hmm. shot yeah so lakers are now down by eight and so it's just like okay if they don't get a bucket here but D'Lo came down and he was sort of in this um in between area, like in the middle post, mm-hmm. and you could even see AD. AD was looking like kind of walking towards doing? him, yeah, like, <laughs> like, like yeah, like I'm gonna come and am I supposed to screen for you here? We have weird spacing. This is not normally but where D-Lo we do stuff. Was just, Yeah, D'Lo was in his bag a little bit and and he was being contained, but then he he has this way of shooting this like pull-up jumper that's not a jumper at all like he's very flat-footed but he's got this subtle lean back and he's got such a high high release release point point, and and he's taller than what you think he is and so he gets this shot off even against ball pressure and he knocks that shot down so Lakers are down by six that was a super important shot he hit the three off of um a great Austin drive, driving kick from from the right wing that I think tied tied the game. I think it's seventy five, maybe it was just another important shot or eighty five. Um, he he was the guy I thought over and over again that he didn't hit the momentum turning baskets. He like the ones that Rui was hitting. Those were the ones that were like, oh damn, or the or the shots that that Austin hit. D'Lo hit the shots that plugged the dam a little mm. bit where those don't get nearly as much credit as the shots that put you in the lead or the ones that push a five point lead to eight the daggers, or something like yeah. that when you're in the middle of it all. But I thought D'Lo was really good and his passing and his passing reads, those were all really good. And so I just wanted to make sure that, that
2: we hit that too. Really glad you gave him a shout out. Let's take a, a break and when we come back, let's get into some of the uh, potential adjustments. So AD was a plus 27 in his minutes in a game that we won by 16. I looked up today our defensive rating in the non-AD minutes, and it was like 172. It was really bad. <laughs> and so this is AD's playing the entirety of the first and third quarters. I think it went out a little earlier than the end of the third quarter in the third, but um Basically, the first and third, he plays the whole part of that. So the main part of the game that we're talking about in this conversation is the start of the second quarter and the start of the fourth quarter from like 12 minutes to seven minutes. This is about a five-minute five, five minute stretch, maybe six minutes. Jaron Jackson Jr. did most of his damage. No. A lot of his damage offensively, a disproportionate amount of damage offensively in that particular stretch. We had a really difficult time handling him. I'm curious your thoughts on addressing that first.
1: So there's two different things, right, that I think are potential solutions is the Lakers play the same sort of lineup with LeBron and Rui. They don't play another big um, and they just find more creative ways to send additional help towards Jackson. Um the other so the other potential solution is you adjust your rotation and you play one fewer guard potentially and and you play a bigger player there. Um I'm open to both as potential solutions. Um one of the things though that would concern me about option number 1 in terms of sending more more help is that Jackson actually made two like very good passes. Yeah and reads when the help came and um, he looks like a player and credit Mike because he told us this too, like in the text thread, but he very much looks like a player that benefited a great deal from that time that Jaw missed games mm-hmm. because um, he had to take on um, a much bigger offensive role and he just looks comfortable does. now as this sort of If not the primary option offensively, then someone who can be like a 1B or a real number two. He was doing a lot – he was showing a lot of great patience in the post, um, mostly as as a scorer. But like Mm -hmm. I said, he had a couple of really good passing reads too. And so those are – so that would concern me about like sending double teams his, his way. I also don't want the Lakers to get too much in to rotation. I think a part of the reason why their defense can be so good is that they're able to play a lot of one on one and then funnel things to Anthony Davis in a way where he's just really bothersome <laughs> to, to the yeah. other team. And if, and, and if you get in rotation or switch too much, ad ends up in awkward places and he's not always protecting the basket so and then in this case too you're talking about parts of the game where ad isn't even in the game at all and so then getting in scramble mode in those situations like then you're the team that ends up trying to like box out a bigger player with dennis schroeder or something like that so (sighs) I lean towards giving a, another big a chance or, or playing skewing bigger in that group,
2: but but where are you at? That's that's where I am too, uh, particularly in that part of the game. And so that is when Malik Beasley and Troy Brown Jr. play, and yeah. it's those two, and then it's usually Dennis as the other guy out there. And so I think it's essential for that group without AD being on the floor to be more of a keep them in front of you, and if they hit jump shots, that's great, but like good for them. But- Our biggest issue when we watch these stretches of games, which I've been talking about for for a minute now, is we just give up so many points right under the basket. It's like right at the hoop in ways where it's like every time you play a good team, they're going to... Take it to you in that way. Like you can't win games giving up points like that. And so, to me, it's a Wenyan versus Bamba type of choice. I think that if you want to run a drop coverage, then it's a then it's Bamba, um, and if you want to switch, then it's Wenyan. Now, that doesn't necessarily address the. Jackson can go through all of them like Jackson went through Vando had some minutes on him he went through Rui and he went went through LeBron as well so he'll still be a problem in that respect but just the collective size of that unit this helps on the boards it's not just a a Jackson issue it's when their guards penetrate Dylan Brooks was very aggressive in these stretches as well right like and because the other team knows it's like you're small back there and neither Rui nor LeBron are good standing jumpers at this point like they attacked Rui in a couple of drops and it's like Rui really and a drop isn't going to work, and so I I would lean more toward like the when in and switching and keep everyone in front of you type type of thing. But it is that is the portion of the game where we are weakest as a team right now.
1: Yeah, I worry about switching too much because teams that go into a switch everything mode then they get too comfortable giving up the switch. And there are times where I feel like, no, you actually don't want to switch there. Mm -hmm. Like just because there was a brush exchange doesn't mean you should switch. Right. Right. And I thought, um, the play where you Jackson got an and one over Vando where he drop stepped. Um, so Mm -hmm. Jackson was great on the right block going middle to his left hand right? But he showed great counters, drop stepping back to his right hand. And he had a nice jump hook over LeBron, but he also got an and one over Vando doing that that exact drop step. And Vando sort of jumped into him and tried to contest. Jackson absorbed the contact and still finished. And that, I want to say that possession came off of a switch where Vando ended up switching. On to Jackson, one of the things that the Lakers did well on a f- couple of possessions in the final 80 seconds or so of the game is they actually put LeBron on Tyus Jones. Mm-hmm. And so when they were running pick and rolls between um, Jones and Jackson, it was LeBron then that switched mm-hmm. on to Jackson. And then that's a more natural matchup. So I worry about switching so much. Um just because i feel like you're then going to get jackson in a post up against potentially malik sure. beasley or or troy brown right
2: and i don't really so want that so your other option there if the, the by-the-book basketball, what you do when you got a big man on the other team that can kick your butt down around the basket and you're worried that your guys are too small is your favorite, Darius, is a 2-3 zone. That's supposed That would take Jackson sure. away. It would leave some other things open out on the perimeter. But I would argue, I generally agree with your perspective that the zone runs counter to what is best about us as a team. I would say in that particular group, if we can get teams taking jump shots, especially a Grizzlies team that has a couple guys where it's like, yeah, that's fine like you got to get out to Kennard, you got to get out to to jones and a few guys yes. right and they can manipulate that to make sure it's them in a zone right like th- it, yes. it speaks to the point that there yes. are no options where it's like oh just do that obviously right i think there's credible points to be made for for all of these but i think that jackson is our biggest problem with that group and that helps address that particularly if, if you got a three it big backline what do you think about playing bomba so Bamba would help in a drop coverage in the, in terms of like when in is too short and like can't affect the vertical plane enough to really impact that Bomba can. Bomba is also super susceptible to guys who can bully him. Now Jackson's interesting. Cause sure. he's like this long bully. like most bullies are kind of these short stocky, like I'm going to bully you down low. Yeah. And whereas Jackson has this kind of, it's very he's an unusual style it's really cool but i think though he would still bully bamba in ways that just shifted oh, yes. him all over the place totally. and so i'm not sure he's yeah. the, the solution in that respect
1: i have another idea and it's potentially playing vando with that group but that messes up the and putting him in for one of the guards basically. So this this has ramifications on what your offense would look like, mm-hmm. right? Because he's either playing for Beasley, which is those are antithesis players, <laughs> right? Vanderbilt yes, and the, Beasley the opposite things. Um, yes,
2: on offense. Yep.
1: And, or for Troy and Troy this season, like I've I've really liked. A lot of what Troy has done the last week or so at basketball has not been his mm-hmm. best. Like he looked, um, I don't want to say rattled necessarily, but he definitely looked a little like, oh, I haven't played in this yeah. type of game too often in my career, and um, jump shot seems a little rushed. Um, I didn't think his defense was particularly sharp in Game One, and, and and so what what would you think about a LeBron, Rui, Vando front line? Um, mm-hmm. Way more defense, way more rebounding. Um, more athleticism and size on the court. That doesn't solve your Jackson problem, but it does solve other sorts of like perimeter, like keep a guy in front of you, crashing down, bodying a guy in order to keep a guy off of the glass. He's good in transition, which I think that group in particular needs to be in transition mm-hmm. more not less and like rely on like jump shots for beasley and troy like i don't necessarily like that um but a potential lineup of like dennis troy <laughs> vando lebron Rui, that seems like making, i don't know man like yeah. you're playing offense with a bunch of mm-hmm. defensive backs mm-hmm right where it's just like hey we lost all of our skill players so all the guys who normally play play defense you're on offense now um feels like that a little bit to me but that's
2: another idea that I was kicking around in my head I really like that and I think that Vando is the one player where I would pick Beasley over Brown if it were if Vando's in the lineup for specifically the reason right like if it's a Wenyan if Wenyan's in that spot I think that's Troy's Minutes, right? In terms of the mix right there. And this is something that, you know, knock on wood if we get past this series. This particular, like, what do we do when AD's out of the game? It's gonna wanna be one of the biggest issues and, and questions to uh address going forward. Cause this this requires, I think, a great deal of attention to detail because we have several natural weaknesses you're going to have that on a team you're going to have even on the best teams there are going to be minutes where the lineups aren't you know you know there's always something to that you can improve 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 upon and so that that right there the vando minute if if vando plays with that group my one concern is him and Rui don't click particularly well and if you look at their numbers they're really bad like it's one of those things d where it's like are we going to be doing new in the playoffs do we want to do new right now and at at some point you get forced to and maybe that's that's this but yeah i don't know it's a tricky thing man because the other
1: team is well coached Mm -hmm. they're gonna go watch the tape too and the team that wins typically adjusts less right that's sort of the whole point of this section of the pod it's that idea of like well what do you do when you actually win and a lot of times coaches are like well beat me right once before i start to change too much and so i actually don't expect to see a different rotation there right like i don't expect to see like oh mm. now we're going to play winnion or now we're going to play bomba <laughs> i don't necessarily expe- i don't necessarily expect that but it's an interesting idea right because that is the part of the game where and this was pointed out um a bunch today is that the lakers won one twenty eight mm-hmm. one twelve, yeah. but at one point it was one thirteen to one twelve It's so the Lakers went on a blistering run to close the game. um the last two or three of those baskets were transition baskets where Memphis basically didn't contest those at at all. They came on like leakouts and, and defensive stops that that where the floor balance was just demolished, right? And then the Lakers got dunks. That game was close. And it was really close for the majority of the game. And the Lakers got prime performances from Rui and Austin in order to sort of close that game out. And I do think LeBron can play better. I think even AD offensively can play better. Like there's meat on the bone. You had mentioned this before, right? But that requires making some adjustments, too.
2: I mean, the game was close because they scored almost every time when Anthony Davis wasn't in the game. Like, just because yeah. we won the game doesn't mean that that doesn't, shouldn't set off a big alarm <laughs> bell for us, right? Yes, yes, yes. So
1: it's interesting, though. Bamba hasn't really played since he right. came back from his high ankle sprain. And Wenyan has basically become a one-shift player over the last week and a half. And l- last game, he didn't play at all, right? And so I am... I am intrigued by trying Wenyon again. Mm -hmm. Basically, what I want is a little bit more collective size on the floor because I think that this is where, in my rewatch, that's another thing that stood out to me. It's like Memphis doesn't have a lot of size out there. And finding more ways to be big while not losing athleticism Mm -hmm. is something I think the Lakers can leverage even it it can leverage things even more in their direction i think now bomba to me that's not necessarily what bomba does bomba isn't a high motor Mm -hmm. player he's not someone that changes ends very well but he's also a guy that when he got minutes in the last game that he played which i can't even like remember a guy basically took it right to his chest and he just blocked him yeah right at the rim because he's seven foot one it's got like a 10 foot wingspan. he's (laughs) he's like he's got ridiculous physical tools as like a rim protector and when there's a guy kicking your butt in the restricted area like i know that he's going to be able to go in to bomba's chest as well but there's this idea of well if it's bomba and then behind bomba or around bomba then it's Rui and it's lebron you've got a bit more collective beef Right. In order to try to deter some of that. And and so I don't know. A lot of ideas. I don't know what the real answer is or if any of those will even be Mm -hmm. tried. But it is something I think that the Lakers can't just look at the result of the game without addressing those little battles within the war.
2: Right. Like because they need to do better in those parts. Absolutely. That's how you win. That's how you uh, become the best team that you can be. Because this is something that is an issue that extends beyond Memphis. It's been a storyline throughout the season. Like That particular part of the game, if we can just become adequate, I'm not asking that team to, or that part of the game, uh, our our team to set the world on fire. Just hold it down. Don't get scored on every (laughs) single time. And buy time for AD to come back in. This is the story of a lot of good teams throughout NBA history. So- a lot of fun. We're going to be back tomorrow to uh, discuss more. Uh, hopefully have Mike here as well to preview game two. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. has
1: got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic. Got it. Magic fires. It's game. Yeah, the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Here's a
0: Three seconds left. That next one, winner. It's on the way. Yes! Bryant, forty-eight points, sixteen rebounds, with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking around so for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed—a Laker to get MVP. chance right, in Boston.
2: In
1: Boston. Of all
0: places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you hit. kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the two move. Two, two. one. miss it. <laughs> Unbelievable. One the record. It's over. I got popping out of five. Bryant. Yeah with a
1: little tap to alvin gentry that insult the injury kobe i mean what a shot i mean you can't defend that
2: are you kidding me
0: 2.1 seconds remaining denver a foul to give Jokic
1: trying to disrupt rondo he puts it in here's davis four three in the win oh it's
0: good anthony davis has won it for the lakers james again oh he hits another one lebron james putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast.